generosity really looks like. In the first week, we discovered that generosity has to come from knowing who the source is. Generosity has to come from knowing who your sufficiency is. It's difficult to be generous when you think it has to come from you. Uh, But we saw in 1 Kings chapter 17 that God gave a command to Elijah that a famine was coming to the land. But even in the midst of external lack and even in the midst of, of everything deteriorating around Elijah, God was able to position him and place him in a position where God was able to be his sufficiency. Amen. And so uh, we've got to recognize that we are not relying on our ability or our sufficiency. We are relying on God's ability and God's sufficiency in and through our lives. And um, so even in the midst of everything falling apart around you, it's still possible for God to sustain you. I'll say that again. Even when everything is falling apart around you, it is still possible for God to sustain you. God knows how to get it to you if he knows that he can get it through you. If he knows that he can get it through you, if he knows that your heart is in a posture of what about, if not what about me, but in a posture of how do you want to use me? How do you want me to be a part of your plan and your process? Then he'll make you a part of the process. And in in doing so, he will make sure that you are blessed as well. And then last week we discovered a few different things. We first off we saw that you would be amazed at the opportunities that God will ask you to give, that God will ask you to be generous. And when we keep on going in that chapter, First Kings chapter 17, around verse 8, we see uh, uh, the Lord tell Elijah, go to a widow woman in Zarephath. And uh, although you've been sustained by birds and you've been sustained by a brook, now I want you to be sustained by this widow woman. I want someone else to be a part of the process with you to help meet your need. But when he showed up, uh, it didn't exactly look like the plan uh, that God had spoken about, right? This was a widow woman that was collecting sticks so that she could make the very last meal for her and her son, and they're going to die. So it's interesting, uh, these moments that God puts us in, uh, where he's asking us to give. And he's not basing our generosity upon our prosperity. A lot of us think that we have to be prosperous to be generous. And God is saying, no, 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 if you will be generous, then I'll make you prosperous. But you'll find that God will ask you to give when all you have is enough for yourself. God will ask you to give the very thing that he blessed you with. God will ask you to give when all you can take care of is yourself. And he says, I know you got one more left for you, but I want you to give it away over here. Why? Because God wants to be the sustainer. See, if you eat that cake, if they go and make that cake, then that's the last cake they'll have. But if they'll recognize that the cake came from God, and so if I eat this cake, he's going to make sure another cake shows up. Amen? That's the best birthday cake ever right there. And so uh, uh, Elijah shows up to this widow woman, and we know that, you know, in 2017, that report wouldn't go over very well that a traveling evangelist shows up at a widow woman's house that's about to make the last meal for her and her starving son, and they're going to die. And he says, let me have it. Give it to me first. Priority. God is a God of priority. 
And when he knows that he's first, he'll make sure everything else shows up. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all that other stuff you've been toiling and you've been working so hard to get, it will come run you down. My life is a testimony of that. I know many of you in this room are testimonies to the fact that you gave what you needed and God made sure that he took care of what you needed. When you can let go, when God can work through you, then again, he knows that he can get it to you. And so God never limits our sustenance or our supply on our external uh, situations. And, and so we need to be able to obey. Even in the midst of, you know, God wants obedience when it's the hardest. God wants obedience when it's, that's the hardest step to take. God is looking, you know, it's, it's difficult to say you're generous when you have abundance. But God is saying where I really test true generosity is when I find out what you trust in. Generosity is tested in trust. Generosity will reveal what you trust in. Because do you act the same way when there's when the bank's full and when the bank's empty? Do you act the same way when you've got plenty left over or this is all that I have? Is there a difference? Is there a difference in my obedience? Is there a difference in my outlook on life? Is is my supply relegated to my external situation or is it relegated to my internal position with God? That regardless of what I see around me, I know he's still going to take care of me. Amen? And so we've got to recognize these uh, instances where God is wanting us to obey. God is wanting us to be generous with what we have, uh, whether or not we have abundance or not. Go with me to John chapter 12, if you will. John chapter 12. And um, we're going to take a look at a story here, a scenario, if you will. I think is going to move this thing along. I want to continue to help us identify what we trust in, uh, help us identify what we really believe in. And, um, you know, through this series, one one hope that I have, um, I, I just believe it would be dangerous that we build a church, but we don't build you. I would I would think it would be dangerous for us to build a community and build a congregation and 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 build regular attendees. And but at the end of the day, we're not building people. And I don't believe that people build the church. I believe the church builds people. And I believe as a result of you being here, you should be so challenged uh, and, and so moved that when you walk out the door, you, number one, say, I can do what God is asking me to do. And number two, I'm well-equipped and well-able. It's one thing for someone to say, man, you can do it. And another thing for someone to say, here, I'll help you. And we want to come along for the ride, so to speak. We want to come along and be a part of the stretching and the growing and the developing in your faith. Because it doesn't happen one time. It doesn't happen because uh, the Bible doesn't say faith comes because you heard. It says faith comes by hearing, perpetually, consistently. It's not going to come because you, oh, I heard that one time. Man, that's a dangerous place to be in. It's a dangerous place to be in. Oh, I've heard that verse. Oh, I've read that story. Oh, I've heard a pastor speak on that before. But what can God do with the individual that comes and says, I've, I've heard that before and I've gained faith in that area, but I want to grow and I want to develop 
my faith. I want to continue growing. And we want to be a church that builds people. We want to be a church that develops you. Ultimately, you are the church. You realize that, right? You realize whether or not we're here or in another building or in another city or in another location, you are the church. And church isn't over when we walk back out that door. If anything, church is just getting started. This is the education center. This is the education center. This is why, uh, you know, I struggle a little bit when people say uh, that the the church service should, should be centered around the lost and winning the lost. And I'm all about winning lost people. I'm all about seeing people come out of darkness into light. Uh, But I don't believe that the church service, what we are engaged in here today, should be centered around lost people. I believe it should be centered around believers and strengthening you and developing you. Because I'm going to tell you something. Tomorrow morning, all of you are going to have an opportunity to reach way more people than I'm speaking to right now in this room. So if I'm not growing you and developing you and charging you and equipping you, to take the message outside, then it's contained with what is inside these four walls. But the gospel is designed to go beyond these four walls. So we convene together to be strengthened, to be equipped, to be edified, to do the work of ministry, to fellowship with one another. And, and, and through love and through truth, we are growing up into all things who is him. We come together to worship and exalt our king and to praise him for all that he has done and all that he's going to do. But then when we walk back out that door, we should say, now, where are you sending me? And who am I supposed to talk to? I, I'm, I'm trying to even become in my own personal life just more sensitive to that, that I'm not just going to Walmart to get bread. I'm going to Walmart to get an item, but who does God want me to interact with and be a part of someone else's life today? Could we, could we think that far outside the box? Could, could, we, could we get so far outside of our personal agendas and our personal ideas of what the gospel looks like and what evangelism? Hey, I know we've got introverted people in this room. We've got shy people in this room. And I'll be the first to raise my hand and tell you I am that person. You may not believe that because I'm standing in front of a group of people with a microphone in my hand preaching, but I'm shy. It is not natural for me to engage in conversations. Uh, you know, I'm the kind, unless you speak to me, I might not speak to you. But we've got to change. We've got to understand that God is sending us into spheres of influence, pockets and atmospheres and environments where you've got something inside of you that somebody else needs. And you don't just need bread. You don't, you don't just need milk. You're not just going on a trip to the movies. You're not just sitting at a restaurant getting sustenance for the day. You are there to be an impact in somebody else's life, the person next to you, the person in front of you, the people all around you, the people that serve you, the people that you serve. We've got to understand that we are here for influence. We're not here to merely exist. And I, 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 just, I don't know why I'm on this right now, but I'm going to stay on it for a moment. I want to see the church come out of survival mode and start thriving. Thriving. Thrive means to flourish. Thrive means to abound in, in, in much. That's the church that I want to see. I don't want to see a church so engaged with Sunday that they forget that there are six other days in the week. Six other days for influence. That you will make way more impact in your world than I can do from this pulpit right here. 
And sometimes we devalue different roles and different assignments and, and different responsibilities because it doesn't seem as valuable. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the unseemly parts, the invisible parts, the things that you can't see sometimes are more important than what you see on the outside. And even with our natural bodies, we spend so much time dressing this stuff on the outside. And thank you for taking time to do that today. Look at your neighbor and say, thank you for putting on deodorant today. Thank you for brushing your teeth. Thank you for combing your hair. Thank you for not just hopping out of bed and walking into church. Hey, you can do that, but it's a little bit better for all of us when we dress it up. But the Bible tells us that the stuff on the inside sometimes needs, needs more attention than the stuff on the outside. Because I can tell you right now, you can dress up the outside all you want, but if you're not eating the right food and doing the right exercise, your heart will fail. And that beautiful figure on the outside will drop dead in the middle of the floor. And do we have a lot of churches that are dressed up on the outside but dead on the inside? Need a diet plan. We're not taking in the right food. We need a new exercise regimen because we're not being active in our communities and active in applying the word and active in, in, in our faith. So let's be a church that's charged. Let's be a church that wants to grow. Let's be a church that wants to stretch. And, and, and see, this is the thing. Things do not grow where it's comfortable. Things do not grow where it's convenient. And a message like this is designed to challenge you and to charge you and to get you to think bigger than what the world wants to give you. In John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. I think Lazarus deserved to sit at the table, given the fact that he just came back to life after being dead 40 days. Uh, so it says that he got to sit at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money in the box, or he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Could you imagine that stealing from Jesus's ministry? Ah, man, you bold, man. You're going to go. Yeah, this is the son of God. This is the Messiah. And he's skimming off the top. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me, you do not have. I want to talk today about our motivation. Because I believe that motivations are a driving force in our lives. I believe uh, that what we are motivated by determines a lot of what we do. And it's very important to have correct motives because I believe motivation determines expectation. I believe that motivation determines expectation, that what I am motivated by determines what I expect out of that thing. If you are motivated to get married, 
because you were lonely and you needed someone to be with someone to be with you and, and you to be with someone and, 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 and for someone to, to share a life with, then your expectation is going to be that, that, that someone is going to be with you and give you attention and be able to fulfill that need. If you got a job because you were motivated by money, then your expectation is going to be this job's going to pay me and it's going to pay me a set amount. My motivation determines my expectation. What I am motivated by determines the expectation that I set for that thing. If I'm motivated to work out, whatever your motivation is, you know that people have multiple motivations for working out. For some, it may be just to be just to get healthier. For some people, though, uh, they have an unhealthy motivation to work out uh, because of an insecurity issue, because they feel that their appearance determines their identity in life. And so uh, they are motivated by a different factor. Therefore, they have a different expectation. And so my motivation determines my expectation. But this is what we have to understand. The motivation behind the action can be more important than the action itself. The motivation behind the action can be, and many times is, more important than the action itself. Why you do something or what drives you to do something can cause the action in your life to either be healthy or unhealthy. You know, most of us are motivated to eat because we are hungry. But there are people that are motivated to eat because they are lonely or because they are dealing with stress and trauma. And it becomes a coping mechanism rather than putting nutrition into my body to sustain me so that I can function and do what I need to do. And so we've got to have a proper motivation for things. And in life, in in, in all capacities of life, we have the opportunity to have healthy motivations, proper motivations, correct motivations. Or to have our motivations out of balance and our motivations out of whack. There are a lot of conversations today. uh, Motivations uh, behind uh, getting your children vaccinated, for example. And there's a lot of question marks about, uh, you know, do they harm children more than they help children and all these kind of things. But I'm telling you today, there are a lot of parents making decisions not to vaccinate their children motivated by fear. Not motivated by, I want to do the best for my child. They're motivated by, if they put that into my child, what's going to happen? And it's a fear mentality. It's a motivation. You see, in anything in life, we can have pure or impure motivations. And the action is the thing that suffers. My workout will will suffer if I don't have a correct motivation to work out, if I don't have a healthy. My marriage will suffer if I didn't go into it with the proper motivations. My employment will suffer, and my influence will suffer if I was motivated incorrectly to get this job or to take this position. And so there are all kinds of of opportunities that we can be motivated by and that we have to question our motives. Y'all ever heard that before? Y'all ever heard of questioning motives? You ever heard of ulterior motives? That even doing something right can be done wrong. 
And so we see here in uh, uh, verse 6, this is what Judas had to say. Not that he cared for the poor. I'm sorry, back up to verse 5. Verse 5, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? He even knows how much it would cost. And given to the poor. Given to the poor. But the very next verse tells us this he said not because he cared for the poor. He had ulterior motives. A healthy action, but an unhealthy motivation. Therefore, he has a different expectation. He does, he's not thinking about how this can bless the Lord. He's not thinking, uh, he's not motivated the same item, same perfume. Two different motivations. We have an individual that recognizes that this is the Lord, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah. And, and, and he has spoken multiple times that he's giving and laying down his life for us. He's, he, and so the Bible, if you go over to Matthew's account, tells us that she was preparing him for his burial. Is what Matthew tells us. But Judas has ulterior motives, has an unhealthy reason. And therefore, the action, the, the action itself. See, we, 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 we come into life with all kinds of things like this. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Keep your finger in John. But Matthew chapter 7. And verse 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Action, Lord, Lord, recognizing him as Lord, right? But he who does the will, that means intent. That means there's a motive behind it. When you do the will of the Father, there's a a motive behind it. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, watch this. Have we not prophesied in your name? Action. Cast out demons in your name? Action. And done many wonders in your name? Action. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, watch this, practice lawlessness. Practice. Well, it sounded to me like they were practicing righteousness. But he is helping us understand that it's not the action that makes you righteous. It's your motivation that makes you righteous. It's why you did it in the first place. We've got to have our motivations aligned. God is not merely interested in what we do. God is interested in how you do it. God is not just interested in the fact that you gave. He's interested in the fact that you gave. Because you were giving to him. God is not merely interested in the fact that you served in children's ministry. He's interested in what your motivation was to serve in children's ministry. What's the motivation? What's the how behind the what? What's the how or even the why behind what we do? I tell our leadership all the time, you know, one of the greatest responsibilities that we have as leadership in this church, is not just getting people to do stuff, but it's getting people to have the right attitude and the right heart as they do it. We are not responsible. I know the world can allow you to do that. 
I know that your boss tomorrow doesn't care if you have a bad attitude or not when you show up to work. He's going to still pay you, and he's going to give you an assignment, and he knows that you'll get the assignment done. He doesn't care about the internal side. But God says, I'm not looking at all the outward stuff. You can do signs. You can cast out names. You can raise the dead. You can, you can call upon me, and you can say, Lord, Lord, and I will look at you and say, I never knew you. Our motivations and purposes never align. You didn't have my agenda. You didn't have my heart. You didn't do it. You didn't do what I do for the same reason I do it. I taught a leadership course uh, 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 last year, I think it was, uh, to a bunch of pastors. Because one of the questions that we have in our churches, one of the gaps that we are uh, struggling to fill in the church universally is the, the, the generational gap. How do we have a church where multiple generations can come and all enjoy church? Because we've got young people, and we've got some older people, we've got some with gray hair, we've got some with no hair, we've got some that are just getting out of college, and we've got some that are getting out of or entering retirement, then in retirement. How do you have one church that meets all the needs of all these people? And then if you want to talk about all the other, uh, 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 you know, diversities within the church, the, the race diversities and, 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 and the different backgrounds and all the different, now we've got denominations and all these different understandings. How do we lay all that down? I said, there's one question we all need to ask ourselves in church. Everyone needs to ask this question. The pastor needs to ask it, the greeter needs to ask it, the children's worker, the worship team, the production team. Everybody needs to ask this question. Do I want what you want for the same reason you want it? Do you want what I want for the same reason I want it? That's how we all get on the same playing field. Because you know what? It doesn't matter your age. You know, you, you know, purpose doesn't discriminate, right? Purpose doesn't, ch- uh, I'm going to go with you. You look smarter. You have more money. You're older. You're wiser. You're younger. You're more capable. Uh, the purpose doesn't, doesn't go through all that. If you want what I want for the same reason I want it, whether you're 18 or 80, we'll use you. Whether you're black or you're white, we'll use you. Whether you've got a lot of money or whether you uh, 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 make 25000 a year, we'll use you. Because you want what I want for the same reason I want it. Jesus asked his disciples this question with, with, with Peter. And Peter came to him, you know, uh, Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And his disciples spoke up. And then finally, Peter got down to it and said, well, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe you're Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, Peter. Man hasn't revealed that to you. You got that from my Father in heaven. That was supernaturally, divinely revealed to you. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. We had this big conversation. And then Jesus goes on and starts explaining how his purpose is going to come about. I'm going to be given up to the enemy. I'm going to lay down my life, and in three days I'll rise again. And Peter gets in his face and says, may it never be. I will make sure, I will make myself personally responsible for making sure that doesn't happen to you. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. 
He said, you are not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. You want what you want for the reasons you want it. You don't want what I want for the same reason I want it. And if you don't want what I want for the same reason I want it, then we can't do work. We can't join together. When we're building a church, we need people that are unified. You can't build ten different churches in the same church. We can't all come in here with our idea of what church should look like and say, we're going to build the church. It doesn't work that way. We've got to rally around one mission, one vision, one cause, and we've got to say, I want what you want for the same reason you want it. What do we want? We exist to anchor people to live life by uh, to anchor people to Christ to live life by faith. We exist to anchor people to Christ to live life by faith. That is our purpose statement. That is why we exist. That is why we're here. That is why we do what we do. That's why we meet on Sunday. That's why we have Kingdom Institute on Sunday night. That's why we have midweek Bible study on, on uh, 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 Wednesday evenings. That's why we have a children's ministry. That's why we have a worship ministry, a production ministry, greeters. Everything is tied around existing to anchor people to Christ to live life by faith. And so it should bother us when we see people that are not anchored to Christ and living by faith. That should bother us. And so when you come into this church, and when you are are deciding, is this my church home? Is this where I want to be connected? It's very simple. Do you want what we want for the same reasons we want it? Do you want to exist to anchor people to Christ? Christ is a foundation. Christ is a solid rock. Christ is the word of God. Anchor people to Christ to live life. By faith, that means they're not living by what they see, but they're living by what they do not yet see. Faith is not just what you do not see. Faith is what you do not yet see. There's a difference. Because you can not see something that you'll never see. But faith is seeing what is not yet visible, but you believe will be at one point. This is how we want people to live. This is why Anchor Faith Church exists. This is why we're in Valdosta, Georgia. This is why, I mean, we're meeting needs in Madison. We're meeting needs in Lake Park. We're meeting needs in Live Oak, Florida. We're meeting needs in Moody Air Force Base. We're meeting needs in Westside Elementary School. We're meeting needs in our government and in our businesses and in our community. We want to see people anchored to Christ to live life by faith. Well, they don't sing the songs that I like. They, music's too loud. They don't have enough Sunday school lessons. They don't do home groups. They don't, those aren't the questions we're asking. And it will evolve. The vision will evolve. The vision will grow. The vision will be different five years from now than it is today. The vision today is different than it was six years ago when we started. The vision will evolve, but the essence will always be everything we do. If it does not allow people to be anchored to Christ to live life by faith, we don't do it. Period. So you've got to know what the purpose is. You've got to know what is the motivation. And we've got to recognize that we can even be doing good actions with wrong motivation. And we're undoing everything we're doing. I said we're undoing everything we're doing. Even the right actions with the wrong motives can be unhealthy and even harmful. Harmful. See, we, 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 we don't usually pick on we don't usually pick on the good actions we do. I'm reading a book right now written by uh, therapists and counselors. 
And it just talks a lot about people's upbringings and, and people's foundations and people's, um, uh, you know, what, what, what they grew up with. And, and they're talking a lot of things that we deal with in our adult life are processed in our childhood. And we are living out things based upon how we were raised and based upon how, uh, you know, we were parented and those kind of things. And um, it's talking about abuse. And when we think about child abuse, we typically think of, you know, physical abuse or verbal abuse or, you know, leaving marks on bodies and things like that. Uh, uh, But he said, you know, there's other types of abuse that we never recognize, like a, a, a workaholic parent. Because at the end of the day, you can say, oh, I was working so hard for my family. I was putting all these hours in, but yet we neglected something in the process. It compromised. You were never around. Yeah, but look at all that I provided. Yeah, that's not what they needed. And so there are a lot of actions that we can identify offhand. Mm, That's not good. That's unhealthy. But then there are some things that have the good look on the outside. They dress it up really well. But we find out that it's really got impure motives behind it. The reason why they were workaholics was because they were controlling. They had to be in control. And if one thing was out of place, they, and so they would find themselves putting more hours in at the, at, at, at the job and neglecting that any opportunity they had to work overtime, they took it and didn't feel bad about it. There, we, we, you know, we've got a lot of military in the room, but I know one thing that we've had to deal with with military in the past is those that love to be gone, love to be overseas, love to fight for their country. Hey, that's great. But you've got a family, too. And when you're here, you need to be engaged. And I've seen some military, never the Air Force. It's always usually been like the Army, just point that out. But some Army men, the, the moment they get back from a deployment, they want to be right back over there again. That's unhealthy. It's a good action, but there's a wrong motive behind it. So we've got to have the right motives. And you know disappointment is the result of unmet expectations. See, if we, are, if we are discouraged by the result we see, we might need to take a look at what motivated us to do it in the first place. If you are discouraged with the results of what you're getting on the back end, we might need to take a look at what we did in the beginning, why we got into it in the first place. Were my expectations even pure? Were my expectations of this church even right? Because maybe I was motivated to come to this church because of a friend that I knew. But see, here's the thing about motivation. And this is where we make the switch. Here's the, here's the problem with motivation. It's not always there. It's not always there. Anybody ever done something that you were motivated to do and then you quickly became unmotivated to do it? Anybody. You know, we have we have a period. It's this period of time that, um, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of a good thing, bad thing. It's called a honeymoon stage. Because at some point, reality shows up. And every everything in life has a honeymoon stage. Working out has a honeymoon stage. Most of the time, working out starts out where you got to force yourself to go. But I tell you, once you get in, once you start seeing results, man, that's like, wow, this is great. But there will come a day. The alarm goes off and you're not hopping out of bed, drinking the protein shake, driving to the gym. You're hitting the snooze. 
and you're hitting it again. And then not too long, you're just saying, you know what, it's okay to take a day. You know, it's okay to take a week. And you've come back, turn around, it's like, that took a year. That snooze, that five-minute snooze turned into a year. And where's, the, where's that snooze button, a one-year snooze button? Yeah. Obviously, you know, we, when we think of honeymoons, we think of marriage. There's a honeymoon stage. When we think of a job, a lot of times there's a honeymoon stage. Man, it's all, all great, man, because you got this new job, new environment, new atmosphere, new pay, uh, new people to work with, new boss. I mean, there's, there's, you know, at least a good couple weeks. I mean, it's work, but even work has, has a honeymoon stage. Even churches can have a honeymoon stage. I mean, you know, most of the people that I talk to, especially those that, you know, are, are newly joining and, and, and connecting, uh, you know, very rarely do they say, man, we don't like it here, but we're just going to keep on coming. Usually they say, man, this is awesome. We love it here. It's a great church. And, and hey, that's great. We, we love that you're seeing all the highlights. But, but you know that there, there are highlight reels and then there's behind the scenes too. And, and everything in life has a behind the scenes. And so many times, you've heard us say it before, we're judging our behind the scenes on somebody else's highlight reel. Why doesn't my behind the scenes look like their highlight reel? And, you know, you start coming to church for a little while and you start working that job for a little while and you start, you know, doing that workout routine for a little while. And all of a sudden, there's a behind the scenes that shows up. They let you backstage and you get to get a tour and you get a, a backstage pass and you see all the work that goes involved to get that to happen. So we have to make a change from motivation to discipline. Discipline will take you where motivation will leave you. I said discipline will take you where motivation will leave you. We're living in a world today that I'm afraid is merely motivated to do something, but not disciplined to see it through to the end. We're motivated to start, but not disciplined to finish. And motivation many times doesn't help you finish. Somewhere along the lines, you've got to develop the discipline to continue when you're no longer motivated. Do, are you disciplined to love your spouse when you're no longer motivated to love your... I know the honeymoon was great, and you're agreeing on everything, and it's easy to pick out the restaurant, and, 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 and she's not messing with the clothes that you wear yet. But you wait till you get home, and you find out uh, who's leaving the cap off the toothpaste and you find out that she you put on you'll take you know all the time to get dressed and they'll say is that all you got let's see if you're still motivated to love where do you want to eat I don't know where you want to eat and I know why women have a hard time picking restaurants because in Genesis chapter 3 the last time Eve uh, last time a woman picked what we were going to eat, we ended up in this mess. So I understand. So, so guys, next time, just say, you know what? I got the restaurant. You just follow me. We go into this tree. We aren't eating off of this tree. We're eating off of this tree. Just go ahead and take, don't put it on them. Well, it's whatever you want. And if they complain about it, fine. You just say, look what happened the last time. But do we have the discipline 
See, look, guys, God doesn't want us to be motivated to give. He wants us to be disciplined to give. We're talking about giving. We're talking about generosity. And and, and the reason why we're doing this is because in a few weeks, we're going to ask you to give sacrificially. We're going to ask you to give towards the vision and the expansion of this church. We've done it. This will be our third year now that we've taken up a year-end sacrificial offering towards the expansion. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you today, even though we don't have all the finished product, there is a building that we are very close Very close to moving to. Within the next three months, we could be in a completely different location. The country cobbler building, country cobbler building that we had previously announced to y'all, that fell through. But the same day that that building fell through, another building uh, we recognized became available, bigger and half the price. I said bigger and half the price. I've already ran laps on that one, so. Bigger in half the price. It's located right out around the corner on St. Augustine Road. It's the old Rugrats Bounce House building. If any of you are familiar, maybe you took your kids there or uh, know the space. Right around the corner on, on St. Augustine Road, Dale Lane. And uh, we've been in this process. I, I've been wanting to make this announcement for so many weeks now. It's just, it's unreal. It's, it's, I, if anything, I'm learning patience through this process. There's one last thing that we have to get, uh, uh, you know, done. One last thing we've got to work through, and the building's going to require a sprinkler system because, thank God, it can hold uh, close to 700 people, and uh, actually more than 700 people. And so it's going to be plenty of space. It's it, it's it's amazing, but we've got to have a sprinkler system installed. The city's going to require us to have that in place, and so we've got one. Uh, last thing, we've already negotiated terms and finances and all those things, and um, God's been great, but the city is a little slow, and, and individuals are a little slow, uh, but we are believing that we'll be able to see all those little items fall into place so that we can make the necessary move. We had 123 people two weeks ago in this room. We had 76, and that's, that's, that's 70% capacity just in this sanctuary. And so we are growing, we are moving, we are advancing, and we have seen it consistently on a regular basis now uh, for several months. Um, And so it's time to make the move and time to make the adjustment. Amen. Amen. And so this is where, you know, we're going to be motivated to do some things initially. But do we have the discipline See, see, motivation will help you obtain something, but discipline will help you maintain something. Motivation will help you obtain, grab a hold of something. But discipline will help you maintain it and take care of it and see that thing all the way through. And so God doesn't want us to be merely motivated. Because here's the thing. Here's another comparison. Motivation requires an outside source. But discipline comes from an inside source. Motivation requires something on the outside to motivate you. You're motivated to work out because you just watched the Thor movie and you're thinking, man, I need to get back in the gym again. 
or you're motivated to work out because you saw that infomercial uh, or, or you saw that, that, that weight loss commercial or whatever it is. You're motivated to get a different job because something happened at your current job that says, I've got to get out of here. You hear what I'm saying? But it, if, if you live off of motivation alone, you will always require an outside circumstance to get you to do something. But discipline says, regardless of anybody else pushes me or not, I will see this thing through. Discipline keeps you in the gym when motivation gets you in the gym. Motivation gets you out of debt, but discipline keeps you out of debt. Motivation will keep you in the word of God, will will, will get you in the word of God, but discipline will keep you in the word of God. And so my question today is, and I believe this is the question God is asking us, are we disciplined to do the things we were once motivated by? Are we disciplined to continue doing the things that we once had to be motivated to do? If you have to be motivated to love your spouse, then your marriage is not on very strong soil. But if you're disciplined to love your spouse, regardless of what you see on the outside, that's why discipline will take you where motivation will leave you. That's why discipline, God is looking for discipline. I don't want to be motivated. Here in a couple months in January, we'll see this place a little more full than we do on a regular basis. Churches and gyms seem to, there's a lot of motivation in January, a lot of New Year's resolutions. But are we going to stay disciplined past January 31st? And here's something that, that, that kills motivation, too. You would think that results would help us keep our motivation. But one thing that I've noticed spiritually and naturally is many times we are motivated to do something and we see the results and then we neglect the very thing that got us the results in the first place. I mean, how many times do we cry out to God when we're on the bottom? That's motivation. But he's worthy of our praise and worthy of any and worthy of our conversation and our communication and our interaction as a discipline. Not just merely motivation. Does something bad have to happen in your life for you to turn to God? That's motivation. Or do I have a discipline that I'm always in conversation with him? And so even when the low times come, the Bible tells me that even in the the shadow of the valley or the the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's with me. Many of us are having to call on God because he's not with us. I'm not saying he's abandoned you or forsaken you, but you haven't given him the attention. It's much easier to hear from God when you have a habit of recognizing and being sensitive to his voice. And sometimes we are calling on God to direct us and guide us and lead us, but we're having to train ourselves to even hear what he sounds like. You're wasting three months of your life just trying to train yourself to hear the voice of God. When if we would have perpetually disciplining, uh, disciplined ourselves to remain in that posture, how much quicker would we get the answer? How much quicker would we see? How much quicker would we be able to move and advance in the things of God? Because now I'm not having to train myself to something 
I was listening to a preacher the other day, and he said he had someone come up to him and said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I've got a 5K today, and I didn't train for it. And he said, I could pray till my, my face turns blue. That ain't going to help you. Because we want prayer to replace practice. He said, you who practice lawlessness. You're motivated, but you didn't, never became disciplined. And what you do by motivation, you will neglect without discipline. I said, what you do by motivation, you will neglect without discipline. So I want to charge you. I want to motivate you today. But I want you to recognize that I'm not always going to be here to motivate you. I may motivate you to begin a lifestyle of tithing and giving your your first 10%. To the Lord, you may recognize throughout this series, man, I, I haven't given to the Lord as I'm supposed to, as the word commands me. It says 10 percent, the first 10 percent, not the last 10 percent. The first 10 percent goes to the Lord and you could be motivated, but you have to continue in the discipline. You have to continue in the discipline. I can motivate you to say you've got to love your spouse, man. You, 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 you've got to work up the love of God. The Bible tells us this is how we're supposed to treat our husbands. This is how we're supposed to treat our wives. But if you don't get disciplined in that area, you will always need me or something to motivate you to get back there again. What you are disciplined in will always override what you are motivated by. What you are disciplined in will always override what you are motivated by. Amen. It's not the action that's wrong. It's the motive. And we shouldn't just be motivated to be in God's word. We shouldn't just be motivated to get along with our spouse. We shouldn't just be motivated to come to church. We shouldn't just be motivated to to uh, be a light in darkness. We should be disciplined. 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 We need those motivations. Mary was motivated. Worship team, if you come. Mary was motivated to pour out that oil but she was disciplined because in Acts chapter 2, she's named the individuals that showed up. And the one, Judas, that said, man, we're a ministry. We're a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. We should be giving this to the poor. One of those churches, again, that's just always given to the pastor. Pastor's driving that car. We need to be given all that. We, 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 why are we building this big old campus and this big old church? We could give all that to the poor. But yet their motivation is wrong. Their motive, they don't care about the poor. What's the motivation? We need to have pure motivations. Correct. Not ulterior motives. And this is the thing. There's a lot of times we can do good actions with wrong motives and we can hide it in front of everybody else, but God sees the motive. He sees the motive before he sees the action. 
He sees the how before he sees the what. He sees the why. And even the right actions. I mean, I, I know I've been in some churches, man. You'll get a preacher up there and they can preach fire, hell, and brimstone so good you can smell it. And you come down to the altar out of fear. And God's saying, no, no, no. I want you to have the right motive. Even the right action done with the wrong motive. But then once we get the motivation right, we've got to put the discipline in place to see it through. Everything in life, everything in life, has a season where you're no longer motivated to do something. And if you only do stuff by your motivation, then you'll quit when you're no longer motivated. You came to this church because a friend invited you, but you're disciplined to come even when they don't show up. You gave to the Lord because you were motivated that you wanted to see His blessing upon your life. But we didn't keep the discipline. And so then we got it. We started seeing those needs met. And we started having that abundance show up. And we neglect the thing that God blessed us with. We neglect God who blessed us with the thing in the first place. Discipline. 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 I was looking at social media yesterday and saw a friend of mine that recently got engaged and they just had their engagement photos and looking through their photos and how happy they are the comments of how excited they are for that day but the question is will you continue that passion continue that process continue it's exciting and we're motivated and there's an anticipation that wells up because motivation creates an expectation. But now, when I'm no longer motivated, I need to have the discipline in my life to see that through to the end. Father, we thank you today that we develop not just a, a motivation to do what you've called us to do and to do what you've asked us to do. But, Father, we want to be disciplined, disciplined believers, disciplined that even when we're no longer motivated, even when we don't have the same reason and the same, uh, we don't see maybe the same purpose behind it, we continue to drive on because we have disciplined ourselves. Father, may we recognize today the things that we were once motivated to do, but we never disciplined to see it finished. The things that we were once motivated to see change. But then the thing changed, and we weren't disciplined to stay connected to you. Father, forgive us for not disciplining ourselves past motivation. Father, may we recognize today, may we be motivated today to discipline, to discipline ourselves. Whatever area it is, whether it's with our spouse, whether it's in our finances, whether it's in our habits, what we practice. May we recognize we need your discipline and we need your motivation. In Jesus' name, amen.